Welcome to episode 29 of the Data-Driven Security Podcast. You're listening to episode 29 of the Data-Driven Security Podcast. My name is Jay Jacobs. And I'm Bob Rudis. And Jay, as we were you know, planning for today's podcast, uh, I was reminded of, of the time when I was back with my Uncle Ben. Did, did I ever tell you about my Uncle Ben, Jay? Uh, you've never told me about your Uncle Ben. So so back when I was a wee little harbor master and, and he would take me up and down the coast of Maine and you know, I would be sitting there trying to notice everything and I would see all the fishermen bringing the fish in and all their catches in. Um, I, I noticed that there were different amounts from, from different fishermen across all the different ports. And, and I asked my Uncle Ben, you know, so like on average, how, how, how many do you think come in per week? And kind of looked at me weird and said, you know, that, that's not a really good question to ask a little harbor master because, you know, these, these events really aren't evenly distributed. The, the fish stocks aren't evenly distributed. And if you try to take the average, especially when you're trying to do planning for what the fishermen can catch, because that's a big thing here in Maine, um, you're really not going to be able to come up with, with a really good uh, estimation for that because they're estimated in, in, a, in a way different way. The, you know, the, the distributions are way different. And I said, wow. I said, I never thought about that before. And, and he said, yep, with great power law comes great responsibility. Uh, that whole thing was a setup for that one pun or statement right there, wasn't it? It, it, it kind of was because I've only lived in Maine for five years. I, I actually give that two groans. Uh, I, I was going for four, so I feel like I've actually yeah. like undershot the mark a little bit. No, that's just two. That's just two groans. But it, but it is a great setup for what is um, an amazing podcast. I think this is, I mean, I, I know we say this a lot, but this is a great podcast. We have, we have two great guests, yeah. um, and the topic is really hard, I think, but I think they do a great job making it real, and I really enjoyed the interviews that we did with these folks. It is a little bit heady, uh, but I agree. I think that these are some of the most interesting. We've got two different people coming on uh, for two different interviews, and I think it's it's one of the more interesting topics that we've covered because... As you've pointed out with your with your Uncle Ben and his fish, the type of data that we work with in cybersecurity is often heavily skewed. As we talk about with these interviews, they're long-tailed or the fat-tailed. We have to treat it differently. And so we tried to get two guests on to talk about their experiences and their exposures with power laws. So the first guest that we had on was Marshall from Stanford. He's working on his finishing up his PhD there. And he's just a, a really excellent guest to have on because he spent a lot of time, it sounds like, working and rolling around power laws and getting to know them. And so we always start out our, our guests here asking to introduce themselves and talk about what got them here. So my name is Marshall Kuypers, and I'm a PhD candidate at Stanford University. And uh, my research at Stanford studies quantitative risk and cyber systems. And so I'm trying to help organizations figure out how much they should be spending on different cybersecurity safeguards and investments to protect their organization. And my background is really more of a risk analysis background. I sort of uh, got interested in cybersecurity a couple of years ago uh, because so much interesting, so many interesting things were happening in the cyber domain. Uh, but the other people in my research group study risk analysis in other contexts. So for example, looking at the failure of the power grid or uh, nuclear power and safety and trying to quantify risk of other industrial systems. And my application just happens to be um, looking at risk in cyber systems. Great. 
So Marshall, I'm I think I'm wrong. I, I thought this had something to do with the Power Rangers. Does this have anything to do with the Power Rangers? <laughs> Unfortunately, it does not. So power laws are actually this really um, interesting type of mathematical distribution uh, that turn out to be really important for decision makers in cybersecurity. Oh, so so there are no like Japanese superheroes involved in this <laughs> in this entire discipline. I mean, there could be, but I have yet to run across them. Ah. <laughs> That was so, a good academic answer, by the way. It, it actually was. So, but, but so they are useful, right? So, can you give us an idea of, of what these power laws are, since they have nothing to do with superpowers, and or maybe they are superpowers, and what kind of math superpowers do these power laws actually hold for us? Sure. So, um, so I would sort of classify a power law as a mathematical relationship, and it defines a very specific type of relationship uh, between how often uh, events of different sizes uh, occur. And so there are different distributions that we might talk about in, uh, you know, statistics or mathematics. And one distribution that we can sort of use in as, as an analogy is uh, the normal distribution or the bell curve. So a lot of people are pretty familiar with this. And there are a lot of um, interesting things that have a normal distribution or a Gaussian distribution or a, uh, a bell curve. These are all names for the same thing. And basically what this means is that uh, the vast majority of... Um, observations are going to cluster around the mean and then there's this standard deviation where larger and smaller observations fall off pretty quickly into the tails and so there are things like uh, the height of humans turns out to be normally distributed um, sometimes like rainfall events will also be normally distributed and um, it, it's sort of a, a very well understood distribution and so uh, folks in statistics like it a lot because you can do some really really interesting powerful things uh, with this. Uh, but again, it, it describes a very specific type of distribution and mathematical relationship. So uh, another distribution uh, that we actually find in other systems that turns out to be really interesting is the power law. And uh, a power law is um, a specific name for a type of equation, for example. So uh, it's x to uh, some number or some parameter. So um, x squared is a power law, uh, so is x cubed or x to the fourth. x to any number is going to be uh, a power law distribution. So, uh, so again, a power law defines a specific type of relationship um, between two variables of interest. And the, the core difference between um, a power law and a normal distribution really comes down to how these two different variables are related. So again, think about um, height. So for height, again, most people in the world are, uh, you know, around maybe like six foot tall. And then there are a few people that are a little bit taller and a little bit shorter. Uh, in a power law relationship, uh, what you find is that the uh, variable of interest is often distributed across orders of magnitude. So for example, think about income. Income turns out to be something in the United States that is uh, distributed like a power law. And so what you find are that there's a huge number of people that make between 50000 and $100,000. And then there are fewer people that make between $100,000 and $500,000. Uh, and then we can still even go up the orders of magnitude. So there are many fewer people that make tens of millions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars per year. Uh, but there are a few of those people uh, that in fact exist. So what's uh, sort of interesting and a fun thing to do is to think about um, the normal distribution, uh, again, for height 
And if height were not normally distributed, but it was actually distributed like a power law, what you'd see is that there would be most people that would be, you know, around six feet tall, but that there would be one person in your state who would be uh, 10 feet tall, and then there'd be one person in the world who would be over 100 feet tall. And so that's clearly not really the, the world that we're living in. And so uh, what we find is that when we get to the tail of the distribution or those really extreme observations, that's often when it becomes apparent if we're dealing with a normal distribution or a uh, power law. Is that what tips you off then when you're working with data that uh, you see this long tail? Is that what tips you off to say maybe this is a power law situation? Yeah, so that's a really great question. So um, to back up a second, a, a power law distribution is part of what I would call like a greater class of other distributions, which would be what are called heavy-tailed distributions. And heavy-tailed is really uh, just the literal term there. It's, it's really describing distributions that have heavy tails. And so again, think about the normal distribution. And uh, when you're looking at height, those really extreme observations drop off really, really quickly. So again, we might have a measure like a standard deviation in a normal distribution. And if something is uh, six standard deviations away from the mean, sometimes this is called six sigma, and there's you know a whole bunch of uh, manufacturing people in, uh, who study this you know, for lean manufacturing and just-in-time um, uh, workflows and things like that. Um, but if you have a Six Sigma event, that means that there's 3.4 observations per million opportunities. And so what you can see is that uh, that's really, really rare. And so what happens in a normal distribution is that those tails basically go down to nothing incredibly quickly. Um, on the other hand, you have these heavy tail distributions where those large incidents, uh, they are more rare, but they're not nearly as rare as you think that they sort of should be. And so uh, a power law distribution is part of, it's a type of heavy tail distribution, uh, but there are several other types of heavy tail distributions as well. So for example, you might hear a log normal distribution or a Weibull distribution, um, and these are all types of heavy tail distributions. And in academia, there are a bunch of people that are really interested in trying to figure out if a specific uh, phenomena has um, a power law distribution or a Weibull distribution or log normal, um, but for I think most of us, often the real essence is whether or not it is a heavy tail in general. And then, you know, again, maybe the academics and the model builders want to go uh, through and find out if it is, you know, again, a log normal or a um, power law distribution. But at, at a high level, the, the real core essence is just that you have these large incidents that occur a lot more frequently than you think that they should. So do you come across these, these, these heavy tail distributions a lot when working in cybersecurity, Marshall? Actually, yeah. And this is something that's been uh, kind of surprising initially. Historically, this guy named Gauss was the one who came up with the normal distribution, right? And it turned out, again, to be super, super powerful and super useful. And it really launched uh, a whole field of statistics where you could do these really amazing things with it. Uh, and power laws really weren't studied for uh, for many, many years. And really, it wasn't until the 20th century uh, that a few researchers started to notice that there were these uh, heavy tail distributions that might be important to study. And so uh, historically, again, then in the academic literature, it was very interesting because all of a sudden, sometime around like the 1970s, there was an explosion of research that all of a sudden started saying, hey, look, we found these heavy tail distributions. So for example, I said before, 
um, they, we find that income is uh, distributed with a heavy tail. Um, also, the, the population of different cities. Um, we can look at the uh, number of followers that you have for Twitter, the number of hits that you have on your website. Um, all of these things are often uh, a heavy tail distribution. And so, um, again, there, were, there was an explosion of academic papers that would publish this uh, because this was sort of surprising to people. And then there was this really interesting paper uh, that was published uh, sometime in the 90s or the early 2000s, which basically said, okay, guys, knock it off. This should no longer surprise us. Uh, we sort of have proved that these power laws and these heavy tail distributions are all around us. And so it's no longer interesting to write an academic paper that just says, hey, look, I got some data and I found out that this phenomenon actually is a power law distribution. So um, even though a lot of people don't know very much about power laws, um, for them, finding a power law in uh, something like cybersecurity, I think, would be pretty surprising uh, because, again, this is not something that uh, we actually even really teach in most introductory statistics courses. Right. And power laws and heavy tail distributions are largely, uh, you know, fairly um, specific topic. Uh, I think most people that are familiar with them have read some of Nassim Taleb's books like uh, The Black Swan or Fooled by Randomness, things like that. Um, so they're becoming a little bit more common, though, and so so sort of at a high level, I guess that finding um, power laws in cyber systems is not something that should necessarily be surprising. Uh, although I think to a lot of people, it's not something that they're familiar enough with to be able to expect. So along those lines, uh, I think I remember a blog post saying, "So you found a power law? So what?" Yeah, uh, and it gets to the paper that you mentioned there too. In security, there's, there are some traits of power laws, right? When you have a, a really heavy tail distribution, there are some things that you just might want to be aware of, some things that you shouldn't even try. Could you go into the, the limitations or the um, strengths of, of finding a power law and working with power law distributions? Sure. So, um, so I would say to even clarify that a little bit more, uh, the, the person that wrote that article of, so you found a power law, so what? I think that, um, that, the audience that that is focused towards uh, is really important to think about. So from an academic perspective, it's really no longer interesting to publish these papers that just, you know, simply says, oh, look, I found a power law. Uh, any more than it would be, you know, acceptable to go out and find a data set and say, oh, my gosh, this actually fits the bell curve. Because, again, we sort of expect yeah. that a lot of these phenomena should follow that. Um, yeah. However, uh, knowing that you're uh, working with a power law distribution actually turns out to be really, really important. And so in, for example, cybersecurity, uh, I would say that most chief information officers, chief information security officers, and then security professionals um, don't really know that they're dealing with these power law distributions. And so for them, it is incredibly important. You, you shouldn't just dismiss it and say, so what? Uh, these things are you know, distributed like a power law. So we can look into you know, why does this actually matter uh, you know, in your everyday life if you're a security professional. And uh, power laws, again, are really interesting for a couple reasons. So number one, they typically have these incidents that occur across orders of magnitude. And so you have, uh, for example, if you think about the monetary cost of hacking incidents to your organization, uh, you're going to have a lot that basically cost you nothing. So you maybe think about uh, port scans or um, uh, sort of low-level attacks that are just automatically blocked by your email filters. So you're going to have a ton of those. 
and then you're going to have uh, a smaller number of more impactful incidents. So maybe you know every so often somebody defaces one of your websites, or you have a laptop that goes missing, or somebody sends you a uh, phishing email. And then even more rarely, you're going to have these really, really impactful incidents that again are going to be um, hugely impactful to your organization. So they may take a thousand times more to uh, sort of resolve than those small low-level incidents. So this would be, you know, maybe the Chinese get into your system or you've completely configured your cloud environment incorrectly and so you release a bunch of uh, personally identifiable records uh, onto the open internet. And again, these incidents can just take more time to uh, resolve by orders of magnitude than those frequent small low impact incidents. And so uh, when you're actually assessing these distributions and you're trying to make decisions as a security professional, it turns out to be really important um, to use the right tools. And so your question was really um, you know, insinuating that uh, in normal distributions, we have all these really great statistical tools that we can use. Uh, so we might have a summary statistic like the, the mean, when we have the standard deviation or the variance that we can use. And those are really great representations uh, for the normal distribution because everything is sort of like a bell curve. So the average really describes that distribution quite well. Uh, there's a little bit below it and there's a little bit above it, but it's you know fairly well balanced. Uh, for a power law, it turns out that the mean is a really bad representation of that distribution. Uh, one good comparison to make is to look at the difference between the mean and the median. So uh, the mean, again, is just going to be the average. Um, and then the uh, median is going to be, you can think of this as like the 50th percentile. So how many observations, like what, at what observation do you have 50% of the um, observations above that value and below that value? And so um, if you find uh, a normal distribution, often the mean and the median are going to be right on top of each other. It's going to basically be the same number. But for a power law, what you'll often find is that the mean is maybe two or three orders of magnitude larger than the median. And in this case, you'd look at that and you'd say, wow, there's a huge discrepancy there. So it's really important if I choose to represent this by the mean or the median. And one of the ways that we actually see this is uh, in a lot of the industry reports that you might read about for cybersecurity, um, there's a lot of interest in talking about what the average cost to an organization is for a data breach. Um, and what we've really found by looking at these distributions um, is that the mean is a really bad representation for the average cost. So it's highly misleading because essentially if somebody says, you know, I have uh, the, the average cost of a hacking incident to an organization is $5 million. What that is, is, you know, uh, 500 incidents that took, um, you know, uh, one hour to investigate and remediate. And then you had one incident that took um, 50 million uh, hours to investigate and remediate. And so, you know, it's really sort of skewed by those outliers. You mean, you mean, Jay, it should, like, it isn't 58 cents a record, Jay? <laughs> I knew that was coming, Bob. I could just, I could smell that one coming. <laughs> but what, what you're saying, though, Marshall, is like, essentially, you know, what, what we put in the uh, Data Breach Investigations Report last year was that there, there is no cost per record or average, you know, cost of a breach. Yeah, so I, I definitely agree with that. I was really pleased to see that in the report. And uh, what I think this encourages us to do is um, basically continue to 
push the boundaries on what is the best metric that we should be making these decisions with. And so, uh, again, in cyber systems, now that we have a lot of evidence that a lot of these incidents have this power law distribution and are very heavy-tailed, what that tells us is that we don't want to use the mean or variances or talk about standard deviations. And it tells us that we have to be really careful about the uh, risk assessment uh, tools that we're using as well. And so a lot of folks uh, are uh, big fans of, for example, a metric called value at risk. And uh, value at risk, um, I won't go into the definition, Jay, unless you ask me to define it, because it's a little confusing and it doesn't quite mean what people think. A lot of people think that value at risk of $5 million means that you have $5 million at your organization that could be lost. And that's not that's not what it means at all. Uh, but basically, value at risk is uh, an acceptable risk metric for uh, normal distributed events. Um, however, for a power law, it's a really, really bad uh, metric that you might use. And so uh, this is really important for decision makers, again, to recognize this, that because cybersecurity is unique in the sense that uh, these phenomena are, again, power law or heavy-tailed, um, then we want to be using the right metrics to be able to uh, quantify risk accurately. Yeah, that makes sense. So, you know, we, we've been talking about the, the differences between the normal distribution um, and a couple of these other, like, heavy-tailed distributions. But uh, I guess one thing for the, for the listeners is, are there some things that they could, you know, kind of go back, you know, I, I, of course, we probably won't have this out today when we're recording it, but, you know, during the week when, when they get back to their jobs and they have all this data in all these systems now because we don't really lack data anymore in, in, in cybersecurity, at least in most organizations, what what's what are some things they could do to go explore the nature of the differences between you know let's say looking at a normal distribution and like looking and comparing the data to that and doing the same thing and compare it to these other heavier tail ones like what what sh what what could or should they go do and what information is that going to give them if they go do that like could you give us an example for maybe some type of logs or some type of other kind of cyber statistic that they could kind of pull and start experimenting with Sure. So um, number one, I think that there's a bunch of great resources that are out online. So um, I think one of the most important things for analysts to do is first just get an intuition for uh, what these power laws are and what they look like. Because once you sort of get that intuition, um, it's almost immediately recognizable when you look at a data set if you have something that uh, is in fact heavy-tailed distributed or not. Um, so even jumping on like Wikipedia or just googling power law versus normal distribution, again there's a ton of great resources out there and in my opinion they're incredibly interesting as well. There's just a fascinating history of these two distributions and the differences between them are just really really interesting. So I would encourage people to do that um, uh, sort of to get started. And um, so number two, if they're sort of interested in really testing out and taking a look at their data to see if their data in fact follow a heavy tail distribution or not. Um, so here I actually don't have a great recommendation. So there are a couple uh, fairly um, uh, dense academic papers that people could look into, but I, I just can't in good faith recommend that uh, your average analyst go out and uh, start reading some of these, you know, 100 long, uh, 100 page long academic papers. Um, I, I think that, uh, again, getting the intuition behind this is, is much more uh, effective. And the sorts of things that people can do would be, for example, uh, go out and take a look at their logs and just 
take a look at uh, the histogram, for example, of the number of observations um, or you know, the, the time between uh, different incidents or how long it takes to resolve these different incidents. And what you're basically looking for, again, is something that sort of looks like a normal distribution but has a really heavy tail. So again, like the, the name heavy tail is fantastic because what you want to see is uh, if you go out to incidents that are several orders of magnitude larger than the most frequent incidents, uh, do you still see those incidents from time to time? And that remember that for a normal distribution, uh, those large incidents that are orders of magnitude larger, they basically never happen. The chances of them happening are so low that uh, they're essentially impossible. So if you uh, see some of those incidents, so for example, you say for our ticketing system, most tickets are closed in you know between uh, one day and two weeks. However, we do have a few tickets that uh, take you know a year or two to close. Uh, immediately, you can look at that and you can say, oh, we're probably dealing with a heavy tail distribution. Well, Marshall, I think we'll wrap up here. So thank you so much for taking the time out and talking to us and hopefully we'll have you on real soon. Great, thanks a lot for having me. And for a, another perspective on power laws, we, we spoke with uh, Michael from Kenna Security, and uh, he did a talk on this actually at Syracon 2014, I think it was, January 2014? Yeah, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's also working with Dan Gear and some other folks on a paper related to this as well of power laws within the cybersecurity domain um, too. So uh, you know, we, we decided to ask him uh, the kind of the same thing, like, what, what does he find interesting about power laws? So my name is Michael Reutman. I'm the chief data scientist at Kenna Security. And I've been working with various types of data since I was like 15 or 16. Uh, USGS streamflow data, fraud detection. I dropped out of a PhD not too long ago in game theory and operations research. And I kind of lucked into the security space. I didn't even know what a vulnerability meant in the technical sense until about four years ago. and I've found that applying a whole bunch of mathematical and statistical things I've known to security data has yielded some pretty interesting insight. So, Michael, back in 2014, uh, what, a, what a golden age of data science that was, uh, you were a one of our key presenters at Siricon 2014, and it was on power laws, which is the topic of the podcast today, and I think your talk was uh, the power law of information security, nothing is linear. And, you know, I, I've talked to you a lot, you know, outside of Syracon and outside of, you know, conferences, et cetera. We, we, we kind of chat a lot. And you do seem to have a fascination with these power laws. So can you sort of describe what that fascination or that draw is in, you know, w with power laws in you? So I think it actually came from two places. The first was a really natural discovery from looking at a data set that I'm responsible for at my day job. I was looking at exploitation counts for vulnerabilities, so successful attacks against particular CVEs. And the distribution never really looked anything like what I would expect it to look. There wasn't some thing that attackers kept sticking to. There would be huge jumps. There would be inexplicable huge amounts of attacks at a particular vulnerability in a particular hour. And I started modeling the distribution um, not on its own right, but because I was looking at CVSS score distributions. And that distribution looked very strange to me. If you look at it, there's some adjustment parameters in the scoring. There's only a couple of outcomes that are possible. So it looks 
not very normal, not very smooth with jumps and bumps all around it. And I started thinking, well, what would be the implication if it did look like a normal distribution or if it had a really fat tail? Uh, how could a practitioner take advantage of that? Could we set optimal cutoffs? And in kind of resolving the differences between those two, um, the distributions for those attacks ended up being incredibly fat-tailed. I actually learned how to test for power laws, learned how to test for the obes obesity of a tail, uh, ran that analysis, found that they were pretty consistent power laws, and started reading other literature on them. Uh, specifically, uh, literature about counterterrorism and the severity of warfare itself, which is kind of the only thing I found where there's a, another opponent as well. And the core of the thing is that we're trying to model an attacker-defender interaction and try to understand how we can stop these attackers. The way we think about it is in our perimeter or outside of per a perimeter as an enterprise. But the way that counterterrorism experts think about it is nothing like that. They think about disrupting the attacker or measuring something about what the attacker will do next, how they'll switch strategies, how often they switch strategies. So I, t I tried to port a lot of that thinking into information security, and in doing so found that these fat tail distributions exist in just about anything. You try to measure their remediation rates of vulnerabilities, you try to measure types of assets as they exist, or the frequency of occurrence of particular software or particular vulnerabilities, and all of it kind of has this underlying theme of the average probably doesn't exist. The variance certainly doesn't. When you're looking at power laws, when you're looking at these distributions within security data, uh, what are some of the common ones that you've seen and were any of those surprising or interesting to you? So there's a couple that I'm pretty sure about. The first is the distribution of attack type. So the frequency of a particular vulnerability or exploit or even piece of malware being used is pretty power law distributed. There's no such thing as a vulnerability that is on average exploited this many times, or this piece of malware is on average exists on this many machines. Those things don't make sense because the next one that comes along has no relationship to its mean. The standard deviation doesn't have much meaning either. This, the second one is something you guys are very familiar with, which is breaches. The impact of breaches, the number of records lost, no matter which database you use, whether it's the VCDB or data loss DB, or if you FOIA a bunch of breaches, there's no real mean to be, to be seen there. The, the tail is very fat. And as you look at it, it's entirely reasonable to expect the next breach to be of absolutely any magnitude. So what you're saying though, is that maybe a, a cost per record, an average cost per record may not be a good description? I think that is what I'm saying, Jay. I think, you know, <laughs> we can talk about it in terms of quantiles. We can yeah. figure out a really low lower bound and a really high upper bound and somewhere in between are things that make some sense to us. But to just call out a number is crazy talk. Was in, were any of these things that you've come across really surprising to you though? No, I think the strange thing about this is that the distributions are really counterintuitive and to think about something that has no mean is really counterintuitive but if you describe it in terms of security it kind of makes sense because you're saying that you know that the next event that we observe or the next type of thing whether it's an attack or a breach or an asset with a lot of interconnections on it that that thing could be an order of magnitude worse than the previous one and given how quickly the internet is growing, how quickly interconnections 
are growing how much effort attackers are putting into designing new attacks or proliferating them. That kind of makes sense. Was anything particularly interesting, though, where you, where you started looking at it and you found this power law and you were able to, to identify it as a power law and you thought, that is interesting. Like, that's some good stuff right there. So there was a study done by Overall and Silliman, and it studies 11 years of computer crime and security surveys. They find a power law with an exponent of 1.62, which isn't that remarkable or surprising, except that studies done about terrorist activity find the exact same exponent or exponents that are incredibly close. And so exponents have a lot of meaning in, uh, in power law distributions, namely that if an exponent is below two, then the standard deviation is not well-defined. And if an exponent is below one, then the mean is not well-defined. So it kind of has some implications for what the underlying process that's generating these distributions are. And it seems from looking at a whole bunch of studies altogether that the underlying processes that generate cybersecurity incidents or cybersecurity losses are about the same as the ones that generate insurgent terrorist activity. That's pretty interesting. And I mean, could that be just related to measuring human action? I think so. Um, one really interesting phenomenon of power laws is that they build upon each other. So. If you, have, if you combine two distributions and one has a really fat tail and one is a normal distribution, for example, um, the rank order of heights of cities, of women's heights in particular cities, would also be power law distributed. It kind of inherits the property of the fattest tail. Um, and if you think about the things that are the factors that most certainly contribute to both terrorist activity and to cybersecurity incidents, there's a lot of them that are similar. The proliferation of software over time, the size of cities, the relative wealth of different economies, things of that nature are all contributing to the economic incentives or to the underlying processes that we're really measuring here, which is the attacker-defender interaction. And they're probably pretty related with the differences being in the execution. Um, there is a so what to a lot of this data science stuff, especially when it gets into this area of probability and distribution. So like what what really can practitioners take away? I mean, I know you deal primarily with vulnerability data, Michael, but it does apply in, in, into a number of areas. So like what is the so what for, for the power law distribution when it comes to cybersecurity? Yeah, that's a really good question. I've been working on that question for the better part of a year with Dan Gear and Brock Dahl. And we're, you know, working on a paper that we hope to publish eventually. And the so what question is really what stops everyone. I think there are a couple of so what's that are not specific to vulnerabilities and they're probably not even specific to security, but in the presence of power laws are really important. Um, the first is that you need to assume that swans are coming. So you have to assume that those events that are in order of magnitude worse than the ones that you have previously measured will occur. And the implication there is what uh, Taleb describes as anti-fragile organizations. So you have to build some kind of resistance to those scenarios that are probably way outside of the bands that you predict. There's interesting ways to do that. You know, like the Navy is teaching people how to navigate without GPS-based instruments, uh, which might be a pretty silly example, but it's exactly that, having a manual fallback of some kind or making sure that the interdependencies between systems are not so high that all of them fail at once. The other takeaway is that risk really needs to be modeled differently across all of cybersecurity. Um, 
a lot of our risk modeling is based on these averages and standard deviations based on previously observed data, based on previous incident data. You know, like Jay coquettishly pointed out, we think of the cost of a record lost as a particular number. And that's kind of silly. We need to be thinking about them not in terms of an average, but in terms of quantiles and putting out bands on them of thinking of them in terms of 100-year floods, 500-year floods, and planning for those. And, you know, the good news is that in other fields, this has been dealt with. You know, the flood insurance industry has a fairly okay handle on floods and even insures them sometimes with subsidies, etc. Um, but just that mode of thinking, switching our thinking and switching our modeling and switching our reporting out from thinking about the risk posed to us as the same risk that has occurred in the past to we need to model this distribution as an evolving process that could get worse and worse is what the biggest takeaway for me is. So, so like in the in the area of vulnerabilities, um, you know, where you know for various things that you can model with related to vulnerabilities, there there may be a few that you know are you know taking care of them does get you a lot, right? You know, like so like the the with the power law distribution, things you know that are important tend to bunch up close close to the uh, the left of the x-axis, and if you can take care of those things, it's great because you're actually making a huge dent in things. But what you're saying is, you can't ignore. The, those vulnerabilities that might be lingering out there towards the end of the x-axis or like far to the right of it because that might that they may actually be the ones in this case that could actually come to haunt you or or an attacker might actually be able to exploit and if you don't have a ready defense for it or a mitigation for it um, or a, just some kind of plan around that um, you're probably not taking care of vulnerabilities in the way that you should be yeah I mean I think there's a really really easily understandable mistake that people make which is they look at the average number of vulnerabilities per asset and then instrument some dashboard or metric that shows that that's declining. And that might be great in the normal distribution regime. But in the power law regime, when the tail is really fat, the difference between the 99th and the 99.9th percentile is astronomical. That's where a lot of the risk resides. And so strategies need to be tailored to reducing that risk, to reducing the difference between those things that are incredibly risky but maybe go unnoticed. Um, and I think the simple takeaway is evaluate not the, not the average counts and not the particular vulnerabilities on assets, but rather think about strategies that try to reduce the exposure across the entire enterprise, pluck out the top, look at the riskiest vulnerabilities on a thousand different assets and remediate those. And that's something that is a power law distribution itself, or your remediation actions rather, will then be fat-tailed because you're addressing the things that are towards the right side of the distribution. So I, I guess one thing here and a takeaway, and, and I can take it as a personal takeaway because I'm now on the vendor side of things who actually deals with vulnerabilities. Um, but, you know, just in a, in a broader sense, so a lot of the tool, I guess, so I, is one thing you're saying is that a lot of the tooling that we have, both either vendor provided or just some of the, the basic things like Excel, for example, um, they, they tend to lead us down this path towards averages and thinking of things along this normal distribution sense, even even if that's not the innate way that we deal with it as a practitioner, because that may not be how we think of things. Uh, can you suggest maybe some ways for practitioners to begin to look at things in this distribution sense um, versus the way that they maybe do you know, simple division with, with, with averages? Like, are there readily available tools? Does, does Excel, because and, and yes, people I'm not saying are, because most people can't even get that installed on their systems in an enterprise. 
um, the like the, are, are there tools readily available to help people model the data that they have? And can you suggest some things that they could use, you know, from their data sets? Because all these scanners, all these all these vulnerability tools, you know, they do provide tons and tons and tons of output. Uh, you know, either one or two or maybe three things that they could do to start exploring this within their own data that would then help them see this phenomenon and then maybe be help you know, maybe listen to the podcast again and then you know get some understanding of how to apply it. Yeah, I think the easiest way to see it and the easiest way to not make the mistake of looking at the typical or average scenario is to just model everything out in quantiles. So take a look, you know, everybody has some idea of what risk a particular vulnerability poses to a particular asset, whether that idea is CVSS or a more complicated model. Um, instead of saying, we have 100 assets and we fixed 80 vulnerabilities this month, the average decreased by this much, just look at the quantiles. That's an available tool in Excel. And when you look at that, you'll see that sometimes of what you previously thought was a huge effort in a large remediation had no impact on your upper quantiles. And that's kind of the difference between operating in a fat tail and a normal distribution regime. It's that you want to be reducing the risk in the upper quantiles, the, the things that pose the most risk to your organization, and tailoring your strategy to always driving that down to keeping up with the process. So th this, is a, this question might be coming out of left field, but when you're looking at some of the fat tail distributions, there are a lot of other distributions, right? So power law is one way to describe it, but you also have log normal and, and gamma and some of the other ones that can create a fat tail. Are there any challenges with accidentally modeling, say a log normal as a power law or how, how common is that? I mean, you know, every time I'm fitting or something, I, I rarely go to a power law. It's really common and it's really hard to differentiate between the two. Most of the difference is in the start of the distributions. I actually spent probably a week trying to figure out whether a distribution was a log normal or a power law because Ben Edwards, another guest on this podcast, has once modeled the same distribution as a log normal and I chose a different cutoff and it yielded a power law and had to think about that for a long time. I had a conversation with Dan Gear about this where I was explaining and seeing which one was correct, what made sense, and his response was actually the best I've ever heard about this, which is, I have yet to see a difference in the actionable takeaways for practitioners from those two distributions. So, you know, if we agree that the tail is really fat, then the implications and those things that we just talked about where um, the upper quantile of remediation time really matters a lot more than you thought it does, how much more it matters is not really a tangible takeaway for us. Well, I mean, if the, if the devil is in the details, though, in that long tail, like, you know, like you said, the difference between 99% and the 99.9%, .9%, that's really where it matters. Doesn't that matter then if you're calling something a log normal versus a power law? It, it certainly does. Um, so I don't want to obfuscate the fact that the differences matter. I just think that either way, no matter what the outcome is, maybe it's just a really fat tail distribution and not a power law distribution. Um, those takeaways that we said earlier still hold true. Those differences are still significantly larger than normal distributions. So Mishka, it was great having you on again. This was awesome. Thank you guys. 
Well, we've had on two different guests on this podcast, Bob, and it's just interesting to hear the, the slightly different perspectives. Uh, but the, there's that underlying theme about power laws and how important they are first to identify that you're working with something with a heavy tail and then to treat that distribution correctly and not do things like talk about the average cost per record or something like that where they just don't exist. I don't know. I mean, personally, I'm still bitterly disappointed that you lied to me and that this has nothing to do with the Power Rangers. I figured talking about Power Rangers might actually do it. And it worked. It worked. Here we are. The other thing I do find interesting, though, is that there's like 700 names for the normal distribution. I mean, I know okay, there's like four, but there's only one name for the power law distribution. I mean, and there's different types of power no. law distributions, but like they doesn't yep. have four names that people yeah, get right. to you know interchange and kind of use there. So I'm trying to figure yeah. out whether that ex- like it's an exclusive club thing, or if the lack of having no. multiple names you know makes it sort of a lesser distribution than the normal distribution. No, I think it's an element of time because Gauss developed the normal distribution what 200 years ago, you know. So I think 200 years from uh, from now, I bet that the power law distribution will have lots of names. Cool. And I just, uh, I hope folks manage to kind of go back into their enterprise shops and smaller shops and research areas that they have. Uh, start, you know, looking at the distribution of your data and maybe taking a look at it a little bit differently than the maybe straight average approach uh, that you may have been taking before. Yeah. Um, and if things aren't looking like that normal bell curve shape, there might be something to that. You might want to explore that a little, you know, write to us in the show about that if you want us to kind of talk about that a little more about that particular data. But I think it might... Uh, be a big eye-opener if you can do that with some of the data back in your own shops. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that uh, Marshall in the first interview had a great point. When you see the the mean and the median of a distribution have a, a lot of disparity between them, that should be an indication that you should probably not be talking about the center. Just be careful anyway, at least. Just be aware that this distribution might be highly skewed and that you, you might have to talk about the whole distribution as a whole and not try to reduce it to a mean. Absolutely. We do not want our, our listeners making that same 58 cents mistake that some someone made. Oh, jeez. Man, just never going to die. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us. This is episode 29. The Data Driven Security Podcast is produced by Bob Rudis and Jay Jacobs and is a creative commons endeavor. Feel free to syndicate the content. Just give us an act back. And if you like our podcast, please visit us on your favorite podcasting service and provide feedback and or rating. To submit your questions, suggest a topic, or share your experiences, please visit the topic request link on the data-driven security blog. The short link for that is dds.ec q. Be sure to check out the book, Data-Driven Security, anywhere fine books, perhaps obscure books, are sold.